This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Please welcome Archbishop Ben and Mama Gloria. Thank you very much, Stuart and Catherine and all your children whom we love. Um, I think the first time I came, there was only two. <laughs> and uh, watching them all grow to become men and women in the faith and in the church has been such a remarkable touch in our lives. And we appreciate the ministry that God has commissioned from Church of the Resurrection to several other places of outreach and missions in the United States and extended to Africa, to Jaws, to Kenya, to Nigeria, to Singapore, to Guatemala, and, and all over the world from just that single ministry. And we've been part of it, and we give thanks. Now, we struggled to make this day happen, but I was insisting, even if the bishop was not going to be here, I want to be here because I want you to see me, the man you've prayed for for eight months. I want you to have an experience that what you went through with me, God has answered your prayers. So in a way, you're to blame that I'm here because you prayed. <laughs> if you didn't pray, I would die. But you prayed and I live. So I want to come back with my wife to say to you all, thank you. Unfortunately, English is not as very varied as some of our African languages. It's all thank you for small things, for big things. You know, no variation is always thank you. I wish there was something, you know, in our own language. I mean, I speak Yoruba, so my wife doesn't know that I speak Yoruba. So in Yoruba, we can say, Eshe Pupo. That is thank you much. But you can say, Eshe Lopo Lopo. You know, it's, that means the, the gratitude is all over the place. But in English, you can't say that. You just say, thank you. I mean, that's very boring. But that's what I can say. Truly, friends, my wife and I, Gloria and me, were very, very grateful. Because when I, when God posted out uh, that I had cancer, I didn't want anybody to know. But it leaked. Bishop Quick and Annette, quickly called and said I should come. Now, my own idea was, knowing how much cancer treatment can be very expensive, my idea was, look, if there was such, such amount of money to treat me, I would beg people, all who want to put the monies together, to please give that money to Gloria and let me die. Because she has children. She has children. Gloria has children. My house is a madhouse. I mean, <laughs> let me not go there, but let me just tell you, Gloria has children, long and short. Right now, <laughs> I'm thinking of a wilderness we're going to move to, because that's the only way I can contain this issue, by moving to the wilderness where all my cows and horses and geese and dogs and pigs and dogs and all the animals I have will come move there and children will all be busy and everywhere will just be whatever she wants. Because she has this idea that she wants to mother a thousand kids. I mean, and it's one of the reasons why 
I'm looking forward to going to heaven. <laughs> so that I can have a man-to-man discussion with St. Peter. Because he wrote in his letter that women are the weaker sex. Now, my experience does not agree with that. <laughs> I don't trust any woman anymore as a weaker sex. I don't believe it. Women are not weaker sex at all. I mean, even while here, every day she's on the phone, on video call. Who is there? Rebecca? Lydia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that? She, from America, she's arranging homes in Nigeria. I mean, who has time to do that? <laughs> Men, we don't think that way. I mean, but she's there. 70 children in my house or more. In fact, more. And then the other 400, she's running the school. The other 400 plus, she's running. Loretta, tell me. And then she will record some of the discussions and she will come at night. Ben, listen to this. I said, Glory, I want to sleep. You must listen to this. This daughter, that girl, we must. I want to sleep. Every day. And then in addition, in addition to all of those children, she has me to look after. I mean, can you think of that? As for us men, hey, Stuart, are you okay? Are you feeling better today? Okay, I'll be coming back. I'm traveling. I'll come back tomorrow. Now, he may collapse the next day. Men, we're just like that. We don't care. We just move on. And sometimes our wives are terribly frustrated because they say, I have a headache. Say, oh, sorry, take Tylenol, and I'm gone. No, women are different. You have a headache, let's check. Is it in your stomach? You said headache, but they're checking your stomach. What did you eat? What is wrong with your leg? They're going all over the leg and everywhere. And the, what will you drink? What will you drink? Would you like coffee? Let me bring you tea. No, don't have coffee. No, honestly, I want to discuss with St. Peter about women. And truly, for eight months, we were in the house of Bishop Quigg in Roanoke. For eight months, Bishop Quigg and Annette kept us. Amazing testimony of Christian hospitality. Eight months you keep somebody, a stranger, in your house in America during COVID. Even in normal times, you wouldn't want to keep him for more than three weeks. Eight months we were there, and Quig and Annette are amazing. They wouldn't even let us buy anything with our money. It's so embarrassing, I, I couldn't buy anything. I, I wouldn't even want anything. One of the days, I said to Gloria, Gloria, can I have a rabbit? I want to eat a rabbit. And Gloria told Annette, Annette told uh, Quig, believe me, within two days, I had 10 rabbits. <laughs> that was how generous that couple was. And it was he who got in touch with Dr. Bob, and Dr. Bob organized the team of the anesthetist, Dr. Janard, the surgeon, Dr. Ellis, the liver specialist, Dr. Damper, um, the oncologist, Paul Richard, committed Christian men, looked after me. Great men with the knowledge of science. And every money I needed was provided. And your church, you not only pray, you gave. I'm here to say thank you. Thank you, folks. Thank you.
In fact, to prove, to prove that I'm very grateful, yesterday I had three scoops of ice cream. <laughs> Against all medical advice. I had vanilla, I had chocolate, I had caramel. I wanted pistachio, but it couldn't come, so there was no... <laughs> but that is just to, to thank God for... I mean, I won't see these things when I go back to Jaws, so I better eat it here now. And I have a sweet tooth, so... Much against what Gloria... Gloria, don't take sugar. I say, excuse me, I'm alive. I'm cancer-free. Let me eat now. <laughs> but not only I want to thank you, I want to thank Gloria. She is... She's a solid, solid... In Nigeria, we say she's a caterpillar. She stood with me for eight months and still was running the house in Jaws and all the ministry. Gloria, thank you. Thank you very much. If there are wise men in this house who are still unmarried, may God give you a Gloria in your life. They will look after you. You know, men, we are not very clever. We, we think we are everything. <laughs> that, that's the way all men are raised, you know. You are the man. Silly guy, forget it. <laughs> you ain't got no good woman, you ain't no man, nothing. Tell you. So pray that God gives you a godly woman. Once you have a godly woman, your life is safe in the hands of a Christian lady. Very safe. Now, I told Bishop Stewart, I said, how many minutes do you want me to speak? <laughs> because I know Americans, some of you have put some things in your oven and by, by 12 o'clock, the alarm will ring and so on and so forth, and some it's a casserole, others it's a chicken, I don't know what you put, ice cream, maybe. Please, if anybody is doing um, apple pie, I would want to visit you with ice cream, vanilla ice cream on it, or apple crumble, you, you put that. But I want to assure you, if that is what you've done and you've timed it very well, please relax. Fasten your seatbelt, those things are going to burn. Fire service is going to call at your home. My brother um, Matt asked me to preach, and he said, well, we're doing studies on Acts, but you can pick anything you feel led. But I'm wise enough to know that as a pastor, I'm a man under authority. So I don't want to break your systematic learning on the book of Acts. And he said, we're doing chapter 5 from verse 11. Is that right? And you all have the notes, and it's there in your notebooks and in the Acts Bible. So I think let's, let's, let's delve into that, shall we? But before we get into that, I want us to look at two verses uh, specifically just now. The first one is chapter 4 and verse 12. Can we look at that? Acts chapter 4. Oh, you didn't start timing me. That's good. So I'll start timing myself at the right time. So for now, let it stay there. So whatever time has time, that will be the time. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, and it says, And there is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the second verse I want us to read is verse 29 of chapter 5. Look at it there. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Can you mark those two together? But I'd like us to read verse 12 together as a church. And let us read it loud of chapter 4. Are we there? One, two, go. There is no And I'd like you to memorize that and please teach your children also. Memorize it as families. Let it be a verse that you know. And chapter, and chapter 5, verse 29, simply says, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The reason I want us to take that back route to come forward is for you to understand that the crisis facing the new church is orchestrated by Satan himself. And you recall that when Jesus was announced as the Son of God at baptism, Satan called all his demons and said, that's the man, that's the man, let's start walk. So as Jesus was announcing his ministry, Satan also announced his own attacks at baptism. You never know, you never know that you're in trouble until the day you give your life to Jesus Christ. That is the time Satan begins to pursue you. When you are not saved in Jesus Christ, you hadn't repented, you were fine. Really, really fine. Because you're already in hell anyway. But the day you decamp from enemy territory, from Satan's territory, and turn to Jesus, he brings everything against you from your place of work. They will call you names, your school, the marketplace. They will, everything begins to go wrong. It's only a few weeks since Pentecost. The young church had just come on. They have always seen this lame man sitting by the gate, beautiful. Nobody cared until the day now after Pentecost, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they've seen Jesus heal and perform miracles. They told the lame man, you're looking at us looking for money. We have no money. What we have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he got up and began to run upstairs and go everywhere singing and praising the Lord. And the high priest and the Sanhedrin, the same people who sentenced Jesus to death, heard about this miracle. They called the apostles. Come on. Who asked you to do this? Can you imagine for doing a good work, you're vilified? That's it. If you did a bad job, nobody will bother. No, nobody will bother. But you did a good thing. Satan is angry. Only Satan stands against the church. If there's anyone who rejoices when a church is closed down, it's Satan. Anytime you see a crisis in the church, don't bother. 
Don't hate the people. Just know it's Satan behind it all. Because Satan does not like people saved. Satan does not like good. Everywhere Jesus went, the Bible says, he is doing good. Satan doesn't like it. Satan prefers that you remain a drunkard, a sex addict, a, just a used to ruin. What does he come to do? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's all Satan wants to do. But what does Jesus do? He's come to save, to give you life, and give it abundantly. It's the same thing even in the home. You know, here I am, a committed Christian young boy, tongue-speaking, Bible-believing evangelist, and Gloria also, tongue-speaking, Bible speaking. I mean, Gloria is, Gloria is to be on, really, really on fire. I mean, I, I've heard Gloria cast out demons as a young girl, 20-year-old girl. Come out, name of Jesus, come out. And so we fell in love and got married. And I thought my home was going to be a prayer house, and you know. But boy, <laughs> did we disagree on everything. The house I thought was my house, I lost, con first of all, the first place I lost was my living room. I had no, no, I lost my kitchen first, then I lost the living room. So I moved to the bedroom. And then when the baby came, I lost the bedroom. So I didn't know where to stay anymore. I lost my shoes, my everything, the whole place. And I didn't know. I said, Lord, what have I brought upon myself? And we would ask, I will ask just one question, and then I'll have 17 answers. I said, Lord, what is all this? There was a day we argued over something from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. Would you believe that? And at the end of it, I said, Gloria, what have we been arguing about? She said, I don't know. Let us pray. But <laughs> <laughs> so far. But Satan wants to ruin homes. We had to put the Bible in between us. Bible Christians to stick it out. And for 37 years, that has been the trick. So anytime there's a misunderstanding or agreement, we all know where it's coming from. It's coming from Satan. It's not the girl you married. No, it's not the man you married. No, it's Satan. Always understand that so that you don't hate anybody. We have no room for hate in our hearts. We love. Jesus poured his love into our hearts, so we have no room for hate of anybody, whether it's a Muslim, pagan, anybody. We don't have that space. We have so much love, we want to give it out. So much love when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. But Satan wants to corrupt that love with hate. So what did he do first? He made sure that the Sanhedrin, the council of the high priest and everybody, intimidate the young church not to preach the name of Jesus. That's the name up till today. Nobody wants to hear that. Jesus, no. You can call the name of higher being something, but not Jesus. The moment you call Jesus, you're classified. But the apostles said, 
in response to the elders. There is no other name given by which anyone will be saved except the name of Jesus. No salvation can be found anywhere, only in the name of Jesus. So the apostles were released and they prayed. And they prayed for boldness. They said, Lord, give us boldness. That is in verse 29 of chapter 4. Mark that. They are asking for boldness. And it is, it is not consistent with the gospel. If you truly have the gospel for you not to be bold. It's not a bold of arrogance. Because what did these apostles have? Nothing. Nothing. They had abandoned their fishes, their fishermen, and all their trades and everything. They had nothing. They were just ordinary people. Yet they could look at the educated chief priests and the entire council and tell them there's no salvation that can be found anywhere except the name of Jesus. Boldness. You know sometimes children of wealthy people are very bold. They enter a shop and just talk to people anyhow. These guys are not like that. They don't have that. What they have is invisible. But they are bold. Jesus. You cannot have Jesus and not be bold. You can suppress it, but that's not the will of God. You are not rude. You are courteous. You're nice, you're kind, with a smile on your face, and yet you're bold. With nothing, with no shoes, with sandals, with ordinary. You say, hello, sir, can I help you? You know, Jesus helped me. I can help you too. You know, that's boldness. It's so simple. It's not anything you stand and say, you must receive Christ. No, no. It's so simple, so ordinary. I will never forget we were newly married. My math teacher in school, I went to a military school. Handsome man, very intelligent. I think master's from Oxford or something like that. And he, 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 he used to teach us maths. And then I became a pastor of St. Andrew's Church in Zion. There, there's this man in church. He taught me maths. And you know, as soldiers, when you see a senior commander, your boldness disappears. Because you say, sir, you, 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 once it's a senior, it's a senior forever. There I was on the pulpit to declare Jesus. I was only 27 years old. I was shocked to my marrows when this colonel raised his hands, came forward to receive Jesus. It was my privilege to bury him also when he died. But who was I to talk to a commander? If not for Jesus, he wasn't the only one, another professor, and several people in the church there, people who were way above me. But Jesus, Jesus did his work. He was, it wasn't because I was rude. I was, it was a simple gospel. Come to Jesus and be saved. And they did. And they were saved. With all politeness and kindness and gentleness, and yet you're bold. People wonder, where did you get it from? 
just, yes, sir. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Yeah, yes, ma'am. It's, it's Jesus, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. It's Jesus. And he visited us and said, Ben, I gave you marks, but you gave me Jesus. That's what the apostles had. And it is this boldness that plows us into chapter 5, where now we learn that we have an unstoppable mission. So one intimidation couldn't stop it. Now the second thing is that counterfeiting also cannot stop it. Because Ananias and Sapphira, wealthy people, they had their money, it is their money, but everybody was coming into church, everybody was giving into the church, they also chose to give, and they declared false declaration of their assets. They not only did it to the apostles, because Peter was very clear, he said, look, listen, you've not declared this to me, but you've declared it to God. And God executed judgment of justice. Don't lie to God. You see, the problem with our church in the modern times is that we lie to ourselves and so we lie to God. Because nobody wants to offend the other. It's not true. It's not right. We need to tell each other the truth. Why? Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. If you are with Jesus, you can never, never be bedfellows with lies. No matter what story you hear from anybody, investigate and find out the truth. If there's any reason I'm so grateful for this church, is whenever there's news about Nigeria, Matt would call, Stuart would call, or somebody else would call and say, what is the truth? And we'll tell the truth. Totally different from what the news media says. The truth is both your defense and your weapon. And God will always take sides with the truth. God never takes sides with lies. John chapter 8 puts it very clearly. The father of lies is Satan. So anytime you lie, you are following Satan. It doesn't matter who you are. Anytime you lie, lie is a big enemy of children of God. We don't take sides with lies. We don't support it. We are not friends with lies. We are enemies of lies. Truth. Stand on truth. Any day, God will be with you. Ananias and Sapphira, they told a lie, and so they died. Three things. This mission cannot be stopped by intimidation and cannot be stopped by counterfeiting. So would you come out of your closet and be honest? Three things from this. From verse 11 to verse 16 of chapter 5, we see that this unstoppable mission is a pioneering mission as well. Because here is Ananias and Sapphira collapsing, and everybody else is in, is in fear now. Everybody is running away. You know, these Christians, if you come near them, they will kill you. They all run away. But at the same time, look at verse um, 14, verse 13 and 14. Listen carefully. No one of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's a terrible contrast. They're afraid, but they respect them. But they're great people. But so let's say Gloria and I now, we're the ones looking at them. And, and I said to Gloria, Gloria, I want to join these people. And Gloria would say, Ben, you know how much you lie. If you join them, you will die like Ananias and Sapphira. So I'll be afraid. I said, but let me just go. Let me go and confess my sins. So I'll just go. And Peter would say, God doesn't hate you, Ben. Yes, you're a liar. You've told, how many lies did you tell? You told this one a lie. You told, oh, look at you. Are you ready to repent? And I said, yes, I am. Jesus forgives you. I said, are you sure? Jesus doesn't know me. My sins are terrible. You don't even know me. He said, but yes, yes, Jesus forgives you. And that is the gospel message, friends. That is the truth. That is the truth. It does not matter what your sins are. It doesn't matter. Listen to what the apostle says. They say, in Jesus, there is repentance and forgiveness of sins. Will God lie? No. If he forgives, he forgives. Folks, if you know my sins, I remember when I came back home and when my mother saw me, at first she was apprehensive because she hadn't seen me for two years. I had vanished. And she has always known me for 17 years. She knows what she had as a child. She just knows. My stories are many. Actually, to save you the story, there's a book written by Andrew Boyd from England, published by Lyons in London. It's called Neither Bomb Nor Bullet. I regret writing that book, but it's all my stories, my biography, because now everybody knows me, and there's nowhere to hide. But that's the truth. Nowhere to hide. I was such a horrible child until one uneducated man in Lagos sharing tracks took a few minutes and I, I was blowing cigarettes on his face it was then Philip Morris Goldleaf <sighs> what do you know I said to him what do you know I mean God wants only 144,000 people in heaven and in Nigeria nobody qualifies only two so why are you wasting your time but he didn't listen to me in less than 10 minutes as I dropped the cigarette top and matched it in 1976 that was the end till date simple gospel message changed my life and my mother knew me so when she saw me she thought it was one of my tricks she watched she said Ben are you broke I said Baba no haircut at, you know in those days my generation you remember is afro you know real afro you had a hot pick in your pocket and you walked you know <laughs> it, was, it was fun so my mother watched and she went and told her friends benji has come back so everybody will come benji they saw me i was not going out i was sitting and i even had a bible that was a shock she had i had a bible well the gospel did it the gospel did it my classmates they are all retired generals now and we met last year for our 50th and they would look say Ben Cook is it they would tell Gloria Gloria you know this man this man this man he was terrible it is true but you see Jesus has washed me clean hallelujah 
It is true that I'm a sinner, but I am repented, and Jesus has washed me clean. It is true. I'm not the only one. Many, many. This gospel's mission is unstoppable. But that is the pioneering. Sharing with your children. At home, begin there. Sharing it everywhere. With confidence that Jesus will forgive and save sinners. So the contrast is while they are afraid to join them, but the Bible says, and many more were being added. Praise God. They may call you fanatics, they may call you names, but as long as you maintain the integrity of the gospel, many more will be added. People have asked me many times, then your churches are being born, people are being killed. Why is there increase? Is it because of the persecution? I say, I don't know. I just know that wherever there is the integrity of the gospel, people will come and be saved. Anywhere. Two of my pastors, actually more than two, but let me give you two. One is Mark, whom you know, Mokang. He went to a place that is designated called ghetto. You don't go there. No normal person goes there. Even if you have a child and they told you your child is in ghetto, don't bother. Because you, you can't go. How will you go there? How do you start? Mark starts a church there. He evangelized a few people. They came to Christ and he decided the church should be in the ghetto. And I went to the ghetto with him. What a wonder of what God can do. I don't run out the fact that addicts need um, AA, they need counseling, they need all of that. But I have seen miracles of instant AA that Holy Spirit does in the lives of these addicts. They are there in the ghetto. The second one is jungle. Jungle is in Jaws. Nobody goes there. Police doesn't even go there. But Ogochuku came to me and said, Sir, we started a church in jungle. I said, Are you normal? Because in jungle, nearly everybody's armed. He says, No, that, they're there. I went and saw this congregation. Men and women, they were shedding tears as they sang to Jesus. Then I remember Pastor Wilkerson. David in New York. Nothing is impossible with the gospel. The gospel mission is unstoppable. So be bold, church. Don't be afraid. Don't be cowed down because the media have said you are this. You are not what they say. You are who Jesus says you are. And your mission for the gospel is unstoppable. Be bold. Pioneer. Give yourself for the mission and get going. But secondly, our unstoppable gospel, it is a proclaiming gospel. Look at verse 17 of chapter 5. Verse 17 of chapter 5. Now the high priest there, and all who are with him, that is the Sanhedrin Sadducees, all of them filled with jealousy, decided to arrest now the apostles. And what did they do? Send them into prison. 
And what did God do? He sent an angel to them, say, okay, come out of prison. Miraculously, they were set free, but go back to the temple and preach. They went back to the temple and preached. They were rearrested a second time. And this is where they declared in verse 29, when they asked them, by whose authority are you doing this? They said, but Peter said to them, we must obey God rather than men. The prayer of boldness they had done in chapter 4 is tested and is proven. They proclaimed Jesus Christ. And they told the, apostle, the, the Sanhedrin, repentance is necessary, but forgiveness of sins will be given. We must proclaim Christ. And always assure our children, our spouses, the people we meet, there is forgiveness for every repentant sinner. Jesus gave us an illustration with the prodigal son. The father was ready. Come back home, son. God does not hate anybody. God loves us. But we must repent and come back. Turn around and come back. They declared we must obey God rather than men. So the apostles proclaimed Jesus as Savior of the world. You crucified him, but God raised him, and we are witnesses. I testify, we are witnesses. Please be witnesses of Jesus wherever you go. We are witnesses of an unstoppable gospel mission. Finally, we're called to serve. And that is contained from verse 33 to 42 of chapter 5. Now when they were rearrested and represented a second time, Gamaliel had a wisdom to give. And he said to them, folks, let these guys continue doing their work. Because if it is of God, we might be found to be opposing God. But if it is not, it will die. And he gave examples. At that, the apostles were released. And they left. Verse 41. They left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were committed, counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Dear friends, one of the things that will immediately come to your notice is the joy of being forgiven when you receive Jesus Christ. Sometimes I feel like shouting it. That's one of my favorite musicians. He's in the States here. He's since gone to be with the Lord. His name is Jesse Dixon. He's, one of his songs is redeemed. And the way he sings it in the African-American style, I, I love that song. And when it gets to the point where you say, I'm redeemed, you know, I, I, I love Africans, you know. They demonstrated. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Redeemed. In other words, whatever Satan likes to do, he can do. But I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed, friends. And that's who I am standing in front of you. I'm redeemed. Because the joy of a redeemed Christian 
is unstoppable. And I tell you this, don't let anything steal your joy. Don't. Don't let anything steal your joy because anything that can steal your joy will steal your assets. The disciples knew that every day, the evidence is there, they were rejoicing. And then from house to house, passing on that joy. From house to house, mark that, house to house. You know what the Western world has done to us? Western civilization? We have to make phone calls. James, are you there? Can I come? Can you what come? Please come. Can you imagine that? Suddenly we Christians now have become so westernized. Uh, Patricia, uh, please, we want to come. Uh, can we come? These guys, thank God, they had no phones. House to house. And they suddenly they say, hey, brother James, are you here? Oh, sorry, my house is not in order. But please sit down. What have we got? They say, no, no, we're just coming. We just want to encourage you. We've got this parchment. They didn't have full Bibles, just parchment. So we've got this parchment we want to share with you. Look at what Jesus said. Is that right? Can I copy it? And they prayed and they rejoiced. Then they went to the next house, house to house, encouraging one another to follow Jesus. And they were being persecuted. But house to house, they were rejoicing. They were passing joy from one house to another, from one house to another. I'm breaking bread, reenacting chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. The church grew. If you're not spreading joy, your church will not grow. Who wants a sorrowful place? Only a funeral home. Let your joy be contagious because we are called we are saved to serve an unstoppable gospel mission. Let me conclude, my friends. An unstoppable mission of the gospel is a mission of the present, a mission that looks into the future, a mission that takes us into eternity with God. Our unstoppable gospel is always seeking for new areas of pioneering in gospel messages and missions. New methods in each generation without compromising the content of the gospel. Our gospel mission seeks to proclaim Christ crucified, raised and is alive in the life of every believer in the church, at home, institutions, market, everywhere. Jesus is Lord being declared. Our unstoppable gospel mission is the gospel of salvation with eternal value. We are saved to serve a world in need of salvation. Who this morning will go for Christ? Who will proclaim Christ amongst us? Who amongst us will offer and say, Lord Jesus, I'm here. I want to serve you and serve your people in a world in need. You know, there are many unreached areas in the U.S. as there are around the world. We need to think how we may fulfill our mission. There is no dichotomy of time and space when it comes to that. Some may be going to China, India, 
Nigeria, while some in the US. But someone must be going. Secondly, how did we get the gospel ourselves? And I wonder whether we are thinking of generational transition. Because my present condition now, I'm worried. Who will be the pastor of my grandchildren? If we're not creating a system of believing boldly to declare this unstoppable gospel and passing it on from one generation to another, will the gospel end with my generation? Will it end with us in a good church? Not many of us remember that this church started in a classroom. I was there. Will it end this way? If Jesus doesn't come back, what will happen to my grandchildren? Are we thinking someone has to be ready to go and ready to serve and ready to proclaim? Who will go to the poor, to the orphans, to those in need around the world and in the U.S.? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.